But it, yeah, <laughs> anyway, it was a beautiful moment. I, I do want to talk about, I actually want to do a couple of things today that um, we're kind of at a, like a stage gate or a bit of a, um, the, the finishing of something and the starting of something else. And I want to do something this morning to connect these two things and to point to something that's happening right now for us, I, I believe, as a church, but it's also happening right now in our community. So I'm going to sort of try to swing all those things together uh, this morning. Um, we are, uh, this morning, we're, we're sort of, we've already done this, but we're finishing and leaving behind the series that we have done since Easter, since the start of the year, really, on the King of Love, where we've looked at the way in which Jesus is revealed in uh, the Gospels, in his own words, as being someone who, uh, as we've said, the King of Love, motivated by love, uh, a radical love, but in his own words, keeps, keeps turning the world upside down. And, and we're going to, We've looked at the, the way in which he sort of presents this kingdom, which seems very upside down to the, to the values of the world, even then, but certainly that we live in now. So we're rounding that off. And in a moment, I want to try and grab a thread there and draw it through to, this, to the series that we're about to start next week that Josh is going to uh, lead us into. But um, as we do that, I'll lead into that. Um, before COVID, I think it was the beginning of 2019, the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I, I started a, a sort of a project that I did um, together with, with the board and, and with leaders where it was really about trying to capture our sense as a church, Cornerstone, our sense of identity, our unique identity, who we are, what we're about, what makes us different, what our, what, how we see ourselves more importantly, how God sees us. Um, the purpose of that, and perhaps many of you might have been, or some of you might have been involved in organisations or groups where you do what's often referred to as strategic planning. The point of strategic planning is to take these big statements that sort of, they're often referred to as motherhood statements, your mission, your vision, your values, that sort of cast this sense of this is who we are and what we're about. This is our what we believe this organisation is here to do. This is what's important to us. They're big statements. And strategic planning in an organisation is important because it says, well, if those things are true, what should we do tomorrow? How do we do something tomorrow that moves us towards the... Because often those things are so aspirational and they're so big that you've got to have a sense of clarity and connect what you do in your activity from day to day to make sure you're moving towards that. There, I, I've referred to this from time to time, but there was a season in my life where I had sort of like a bit of a side hustle, but it was more a, more a passion project than a side hustle, with a number of other people where we were engaged in actually working, particularly with faith-based organisations, churches and Christian organisations, to, to, to help them capture their sense of their vision, vision mission, values, um, in a way that reflected the nature of a church or a faith-based organisation, but then also help them craft that into some outcomes and goals and strategies and things to move forward. Um, one of the things that during that season um, uh, I always sort of wrestled with or observed, it tends to be those big statements of vision or a mission are very aspirational. Um, and, and appropriately so. They're about casting forward and saying, where should we be going? What should we be doing? What's, what's wrong with the world and how do we fix it? What's, you know, they're big statements appropriately. Um, and they cast you forward. But 
in, and in an organization, that's really important. It's really important. The, ch- the church is, whether we like it or not, whether you think about this or not, the church is an organization. We have a legal structure. We've got responsibilities. We're a group of people. We're trying to do some things. So that is all really important. But here's the challenge. The church in particular is fundamentally, like spiritually, we're an, we're an organism. We are the family of God. We're a community of people. It's much more fundamentally when God looks at Cornerstone, he first sees an organism, something organic, not an organization. And this is the thing. If I was to come around to your place and sit down and say, tell me about yourself. Tell me about who you are. You wouldn't, it's very highly unlikely you would start by telling me your goals and plans for the future. You'd tell me about your past. You'd tell me about your family and where you come to it from, what school and some formative experiences that you've had that make you who you are now. You probably would tell, give, you'd get a bit of a sense of what you're doing. But if you were to sit down with a person, that sense of identity is much more about where you've been and where you're from. Um, and so, I, like I said, in, in this, um, this season where I was working with um, these organisers, a number of organisers, over 10 years, and some really big ones and some smaller ones, I always found, to be honest, that, that the, the way in which we did it was not quite a... It really worked well for the Christian organisations, but it never quite worked with the same impact I felt like it could with the church. So we started this project a while ago and it's with sitting around with the board where we wanted to get a sense of clarity... Um, this was before COVID, which just feels like a whole other universe away, really. Um, it feels like I'm talking from another century. But there was a sense for us that it was important. And I'd actually paused on this. I'd come into the role of being senior pastor with some ideas, with a sense from God about something, but felt like it was actually really important to sit and listen and observe. And we were sort of in the process of moving forward and, and wanting to shape away. I, I've shared this before, but there was a moment at the beginning, I feel like it would have been 2017 maybe or 2018, again, I've lost all sense of time, when um, Pastor Charles had had finished in his role and Josh was actually the interim uh, senior pastor. We were were only, you know, a couple of months off losing Christy and so our world was still, um, you know, all over the place. But I remember sitting in a meeting in the Blue Room and Josh, who'd stepped into this role in this time of the most fundamental change that this church had ever been through, 28 years. I mean, that's, uh, to have a, a founding pastor who'd remained 28 years, I joked this morning, Charles was there, he pretty much started Cornerstone right after stepping off the ark. It goes that far back. Um, fundamental season of shift and transition. And Josh said, I really got up and shared and said, I really feel like this is a season for us to be more like ourselves than ever before. And something in my spirit went, that is so important. Um, Because uh, I really believe, uh, and, you know, if you you know, knowing Charles, then, um, and how this church was planted, and the people that were, it wasn't done flippantly or shallowly. There was a deep sense of purpose, a deep sense of identity. And just because the, I, I think, God deals with communities much more than individual leaders. My role and the influence of me as senior pastor shouldn't be a f- necessarily be a fundamental shift for the church, which it often is. And everyone gets whiplash when it all of a sudden changes really quickly. I want to know and discern 
what of what God has done and said are like family jewels that we will bring with us and actually can connect this season into the future. So that's been really important. And capturing all of that identity um, has been the project that we've been sort of playing with. I actually had a great conversation, I'll, I'll mention in, in, a, in a moment, with Charles about that when I was sort of going mining for the talk to me about this, Charles. I remember some of these things, but talk to me about what God said when we launched out, when, uh, when you launched out. But um, one of the things that we've come up with, and I'm just looking for the clicker. Have you got that? Um, is the... Is it up there, guys? Hmm. Could you just go to the next slide? Did I have it before? If anyone sees a uh, clicker around anywhere. Um, so anyway, so w- one of the things that we've been, w- I've been working on with a bunch of people, I'm going to sort of road test you on, a, on road test something on, on you here for a moment, and see how it goes. So this is very much we're shaping this up, but uh, and some of this won't be new to you, but it's this idea of finding our, our sense and capturing our sense of who we are by understanding first what has formed us, what has been formative, that's on this hand, and then looking and, and sort of contrasting that, what will transform us? So you've got this sense of aspiration into the future. What drags us forward? But, and this is, you, you've heard me talk about this before, I think it's really important for us to be clear about what we remain faithful to. And there is a sense, another, another way, and we, I've used this language before, what we are remaining faithful to, but also what we are pursuing. Two things can be true at once. And in fact, and we've kind of lost this, we've lost this ancient wisdom in our world at the moment that two can, things can be true at once. We think only one thing can be true. We're only able to fix our eye on one thing and so we all get polarised. But the picture here is about tension and balance. So I'm saying, well, there's this, but there's also this. Now, if you were to get on a high wire and try and walk across the Grand Canyon, the automatic thing you would do is what? Well, fall. (laughs) I said fall. Thank you. Brilliant. That is true. (laughs) As you fell, or the split second before you fell, what would you do with your arms? Why are you doing that? Balance. Balance balance and actually let's say I'm walking across the Grand Canyon and if if there was a long rope and it was Jonah had it and he he tugged on it hard there and then Chris had another one and tugged on it hard I would be able to just stick straight across with complete tension because in tension there is balance when we hold two things there's actually balance and I'm saying I think there is a real power in us understanding ourselves in the tension between what has formed us and what will transform us, what, is, what we're faithful to and what we're pursuing. Both these things are, give us our sense of identity. And so, for instance, one of the things, and like I said, I'm kind of I'm workshopping this with you, with some ideas that we've been kicking around, and so I'm not, um, I'm not going to, uh, what's the word, I, I'm not giving any promises that this might end up with where we're going, but it's an idea that's been sort of we've been kicking around in our spirits and in our heads. So, for instance, one of the things that Cornerstone is fundamentally, has always been important and we believe we'll pursue in the future is, is a Pentecostal church. Now, when I say that word, we talked about this before, when I say that word, people flash to Pentecostal culture. You go straight to what things look like or feel like in a Sunday service, which is Pentecostal culture, which actually these days is pretty similar to modern contemporary church culture. 
we sing songs over and over and over again. We'll, someone will get up and talk about the offering. Or All these things, whether you think they're good or bad, will form in your mind. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about foundational beliefs about what we believe about the role of the Holy Spirit, what we believe around what we often talk about, our ecclesiology, the, the importance of the local church, the way gifts work in, in everybody, in all believers. All these things are Pentecostal doctrinal theology that we've always been signed up to and we're going to stay signed up to. We're remaining faithful to that. However, I'd like to think, and I think Cornerstone's a place where we'd like to pursue that that could look different. The application of Pentecostal doctrine when in, in the, the outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the early 20th century, what that looked like when people were kind of coming into this new expression is not a dot like what we do now. It's foreign. And I would suggest to you what it looks like when we gather together in a hundred years should make this look foreign too. So we're pursuing in our day and our time a fresh expression. A fresh expression. And this has always been a place where we feel like we try and things out of the box. That's always been important. But, but we're not saying we're giving away the family jewels and what we deeply believe. So there's an example of how what could shape us is both what we remain faithful to and what we're pursuing. Now, it's on this issue I want to talk about. Uh, sorry, my PowerPoint skills have really failed me here. One of the things that is there in the name, Cornerstone, and I spoke to Charles, I had lunch with him, and one day, maybe the beginning of next year when we do this, I'm going to get Charles up to riff on this, to just let him loose, so be warned. It's, it's scarily glorious when you just let him off the chain, particularly when he talks about things that are so close to his heart. But Cornerstone, the name, there was, there was, again, Charles does nothing flippantly or, or casually or without reflection. And so the name Cornerstone, for, as being our sense of, you know, that, that represents our sense of identity, comes from this, this idea in Scripture that Jesus is the Cornerstone. So there was a prophecy, uh, the, it's all through the Old Testament, Isaiah, and it's in the Psalms, that God's going to do this new thing and the Messiah will be the Cornerstone. And uses that, that reference is there. And then Paul picks it up in Ephesians and it, it mentioned elsewhere where it talks about Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, it's a spiritual term largely when you hear that. It's largely now only a spiritual term. It was an engineering, ac- architectural t- uh, term. That's where it was used from. And it actually, if you see there, it, it had to do with building. And particularly in the ancient world, building materials were not... Um, the, the cornerstone is the, is the stone in the corner go figure, that um, had a really important structural function. And Charles reminded me about a secondary function that the cornerstone has and and the deep meaning. But the the primary one was that it was about sort of connecting you. Once you laid the cornerstone, the building's going to go here and that, that that block needed to be very square because if it's not square then the wall's going to go that way and that way. It's not going to work. It needed to be solid because actually everything's coming off that. And so in the ancient world where often the rest of the material was not perfectly formed and structured they didn't have the ability to make perfect stones, they needed to make sure that cornerstone was right, was structurally, architecturally, in engineering sense, it was right for the job and put in the right place. It, we see now examples of a cornerstone you can, um, it, you can see there, there's a cornerstone which is much more symbolic and decorative. Could you see the bricks around it? 
they're all perfectly formed. So there's a sense in which you don't need a cornerstone to do that function anymore that it did in the ancient world. It spoke of, its, of it being rooted, solid down, and also being square, be it having integrity, structural integrity. And this is what, what we remain faithful to, is the centrality of Jesus and what he says about life and living. It is like it's the thing that grounds us down into life. It gives us integrity to the life of the faith. But Charles also um, spoke to uh, Here we go. Charles also said, look, there's this other thing about the cornerstone that on the one hand it grounds you down. It, it positions you. Um, so if you were, there's a field there, here's my wonderful PowerPoint skills and my wonderful architectural skills coming, colliding together. Noel, you're going to love this. Just all boxes. So there's a cornerstone. If you put the cornerstone there, it means the building's going to go there. It's going to be solid. But the other thing that Charles reminded me is that the cornerstone also positions you towards the outside world. So, for instance, if you, instead of putting the cornerstone there, you put it there. The orientation to the surrounding world. Imagine that over there, as it's faced here, which way there, there's a river or a stream that you want the house to go, or you want to avoid something at the back of the house. The cornerstone, once you put it down, it's not only said this is where it's going to be in the block, it's where it's going to be postured towards the outside world. And so Jesus, here's the thing, we, we recognise, and if I come back to my... Um, there's a simplicity in centering our lives on Jesus that says this is what we're about and we've talked about this before Jesus is a wonderful reframe when think reframing like when things get complicated and life does when we're not sure of like what is meant to be my approach to this because some Christians are saying this and some Christians are saying this and I'm not sure there's you know we can get swept up in Christian culture as well it's, it's a growing market for good and for bad and there's a simplicity that cuts through that says I'm just going to try and follow Jesus the invitation, the thing I'm responding to is Jesus said to his disciples, come and follow me. And actually as I get up in the morning, there's a reason. I'm just going to walk out into my world and try and be a faithful presence, a faithful Jesus-like presence in my world. And there's a beautiful simplicity to that that grounds us and brings us back. However, the disciples took that seriously. They put down their nets and followed him. And a little bit down the track, they found themselves at a well. And there was this woman and all of a sudden Jesus is talking and they're right in the middle of some very controversial issues around, the, some, around race and around sexuality because this woman had a questionable past. And you know what? Following Jesus led to some complexity. A little bit down the track they were out in the marketplace and this other woman was bored and um, it was looked pretty clear cut to them because the religious leaders were saying she was caught in adultery but it looked like Jesus was siding with her against and saying some pretty harsh things about the religious leaders things got pretty complex pretty soon because as well as jesus just grand in simplicity he was also framing their posture towards the outside world that's what a cornerstone does and that means complexity here's the thing folks there is a promise of simplicity when we center our lives on jesus and we embrace it and we look to hit reset every single day the call is just to come and be a faithful presence and follow him. But don't be surprised if in doing that you engage complexity. Because the world is complex. And so here is a tension 
that has always, Cornerstone has always been a place, and I hope you've experienced this, we're going to go and find Jesus in Scripture. And this is what I feel we've been attempting to do in the, the series, The King of God. We're going to go and find Jesus and find, he says these beautifully simple things. It's better to give than to receive. It's, it's wonderful, it cuts through. But then in that, we find that there's a complexity, that that really confronts the spirit of the age, that we come of materialism and commercial, and, and like um, how we deal with our possessions. And he says this wonderful, simple thing, you could put it on a bumper, stinker, a bumper sticker or a stinker. It says, uh, you know, turn the other cheek. That's wonderfully simple to do that. But you know what that does? That really challenges what we need to believe about global military conflicts. That takes us, when we like go to look, live that out, what, what is our position on that? The, the, the God, uh, the Jesus of the gospel, the king of love, keeps flipping things upside down. There's a simplicity that's beautiful that we need to fight and embrace. But if we're going to encounter, if the real Jesus of the gospels is revealed to us, we know it's going to take us towards complexity. And we've got to be prepared for that. Can we hold two things together at the same time? Cornerstone's always been a place where we've been prepared to do that, where we're going to look to do that, and particularly as we go into Scripture to do that. And it's a time to do that more than ever. So here's the other thing that in the King of Love, as we round out what we, f- we find this Jesus who, who has simplicity, but on the other side of that is complexity. That's who's revealed. The other Jesus that's revealed to us, and this goes right back to when we started this journey right back to Easter if you remember again it feels like like wow that's like years ago um, but Josh particularly brought us this I- this image sorry I've lost myself in my this image here Jesus on the cross and you might remember Josh said it's actually and here's another flipping upside down moment where in in this posture, in this position, this Jesus, who from any worldly standard looks like he's lost, he's, 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 he's beaten, he's suffering, he's in pain, he's been rejected, he's dying. Any standard of the world of the time in the world, he's a loser. But actually, this is Jesus at his most powerful. This is where he is achieving most for us. Now that's a flip. We, what is revealed, the king of love that turns the world upside down, reveals to us that actually if we're to follow him, he's going to say your moments of greatest pain, of greatest loss, your experience of death in, in, in whatever form, in, in reality or the things that you feel like are dying inside, those moments when they're rendered to Jesus can become the most powerful moments of grace. Talk about flipping the world upside down. He was doing something on the cross there that was cosmic, that was eternal. He is absorbing and represents beyond my comprehension. I've got wonderful, great theological words, but I I can't honestly say I can even begin to understand it. I just know it's true. He was doing something in representing and absorbing injustice, sin and death and turning it around so that I receive grace, so that all of my brokenness, the the incredible awareness I have of how how far short I fall all the time, Actually, when I bring that to the cross, there's no reason for me to walk on with shame or guilt. It's, 
It's powerful. It is him at his most powerful moment. That's the Jesus that's revealed. Not only was he doing that, what we, what we see revealed and what we've been looking at is the invitation again. There's a simple invitation that he said before, come and follow me. He repeated it and used this phrase when he said to his disciples, take up your cross daily and follow me. So it's not that he was just doing something for us. He's doing something with us. The invitation is to walk like this, to come and experience a kind of grace, a kind of spiritual force that turns your worst moment into your best moment. Again, I can't comprehend the mechanics of how or why. I just know it's true. And this is the thing, when we, when we take that step to begin to believe that might be true because we've maybe seen it modelled in others, we've experienced the grace of that in others and we start to walk that out, we get to a point where we've walked through enough of those situations, one or two, where it does get flipped. We experience the truth that we, we start to gain confidence that this is true, this can be a lived experience, that the Jesus of the cross is Jesus at his most powerful and the invitation is come and live like that. The difficult thing is he's saying, come and live like that. Be prepared to live a life of sacrifice and pain, of humility, of generosity. But the invitation is come and live like that and you will experience grace and power through you and in you like you've never experienced before. So this is the Jesus that is revealed to us in the Gospels and has been and it's been really powerful and it's so important that we come back regularly next year or the after we will come back regularly because we will be Jesus centered and let Jesus flip our worlds upside down again we've got to do that daily but as a church we need to come back when when, when Jesus first encountered Paul who at the time was the greatest adversary of the church he was literally hunting down Christians to kill them he encountered Jesus and he literally knocked him off his horse. That's the Jesus we've got to encounter. When's the last time Jesus knocked you off your horse? When's the last time you honestly opened yourself to let the, that Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, flip your world upside down? Here's the challenge. If we don't do that, we're not encountering the, real, the, real, the full Jesus. That's the call. And so we've got to come back regularly and let this Jesus do something in us because he wants to do something through us. So that's what we've seen. Now I want to grab that and I want to bring this forward because I'm really excited about where we're about to go because we are going to start next week. Josh is going to kick us off. We're going to start and have a look at the book of Revelation. We're doing it, baby. We're going to the end of the book. It is the big one. I love this. Charlie did up some of the, the big reveal living hope for troubled times i i i, I want to invite you jo josh is going to do some work and it's really important that we're clear about the context and you know we, well, i don't want to steal thunder but i do want to say i do want to sort of get you ready for something I, if if i can position you for what i sense god's going to do in us because what you bring to the through the book of revelation like any scripture but particularly the book of Revelation, what you bring will shape what you see. And you can bring some pretty wacky stuff. The book of Revelation, like all scripture, was not written to you. It was written for you. It was written at a time in a context where 
people who were faithfully following Jesus found that Jesus led them into a fair bit of complexity <laughs> in that they were, there was incredible persecution and hardship going on the world around them. And like in so many times through history, human history, they had every reason and we would understand that they felt like maybe the world was going to end. And all of this stuff that Jesus had been kind of hinting at, but not only before that, into the Old Testament, they'd been hinting at this end of the age. There's going to be a time and there's some pretty crazy stuff through Daniel and through Ezekiel and Jesus referred to it. And they had every reason to go, man, it feels like the world is ending. And into that context, John who often is referred to as the Revelator, which I love. I reckon it would have been a great, like, boxing or WWE. John the Revelator! You know, anyway, that's just my sense of humour. John has this dream, and it's a wild dream. It's a dramatic dream. Uh, you sense the drama. In the, there's lots of drama there. And, and he was doing, the Spirit of God through John was doing something to those people and for those believers but also, <coughs> pardon me, also to and for us, there's every reason that they were the first readers. Could someone just grab me a drink of water? I just suddenly went very dry. Um, someone, every reason why the, the readers the first time were going, oh, this is like, it, the world is ending now. And John was kind of addressing that and there's all sorts of imagery in there we need to be aware of. If we want to, get, if we want to meet the Spirit of God in Revelation, we need to have some understanding of what was going on in the time. But, Absolutely, John was actually also addressing well, the Spirit of God, the end of the age. And ever since then, 2,000 years on, ever since then, whenever the world has got into a state where it feels like it's all ending, people have come to Revelation with a certain posture. And it's totally normal. It's exactly what the first hearers would have done. Thanks, mate. It feels like the world is coming to an end. What is Revelation saying about our, not, our time now? That's not wrong, but it's not the right way to see what God is. If you bring that, and if you come to Revelation, and you put in the center, the, what is being revealed is who the Antichrist is. The Revelation, what is being revealed is what the timeline is. And, and you kind of go, okay, well, is that matching what's going on in the world around me? And what the mark of the beast is if you look at what the which the mark of the beast was kind of this thing that distinguished those who remained faithful to god and those who didn't you can bring that to revelation and what's even more true is people have brought that just think through the 20th 20th century imagine what it would have been like to be a believer alive during the great war it would have looked like the world is coming to an end the second world war the Cuban Missile Crisis. I remember in the early 80s, I was 10, and this was kind of the, the height of the Cold War when we had, there was this awareness of the USSR, the Soviet, Russia, and America both stockpiling nuclear weapons. I remember having discussions with my friends at school and debating what exactly was the number of, which, number of times the world would be destroyed over because of the number of nuclear weapons. Because there was this consciousness. Do you, do you, if you, any Gen Xers remember that? There was this consciousness of, oh, we've got so many nuclear weapons that if someone presses a button, we'll destroy the world. 26, the number 26 is in my mind. But my friend Bradley thought it was 24. I remember having a very engaged discussion as a 10-year-old about the end of the world. 
And what do you know? My consciousness also during the church was of people bringing the revelation bit into what was happening now because it was so real. So that's normal. And that is happening right now, isn't it? If you have been anywhere near any social media or conversations with people, it's happening right now. And it's not wrong, it's understandable, but it's not. If you bring that to Revelation, folks, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the Revelation. Because you know what is revealed in Revelation? Or do you know who is revealed in Revelation? It's a revelation of Jesus. The central figure and focus is not the timeline. It's not the mark of the beast. It's not about whether it's AstraZeneca or Pfizer is the mark of the beast or which of the chief medical officers is the Antichrist or or any of those things. There's going to be a time. There's going to be a time when that's going to be right. I don't think it's now. We'll talk about this tomorrow. I don't think it's now. I could be wrong. I'm not saying thus say the Lord. I've got some really solid reasons to say this isn't the end of the world. This isn't Revelation. I do think it's an awesome time for us to read Revelation though because what the Spirit of God will be doing for us is the same thing he did the first time, the same thing he did for the church during the First World War and the same thing he did for the church that came to Revelation looking for Jesus is he will give us hope. Because the story we will see is of, a, of Jesus, not on the cross, but of a Jesus who is deeply concerned about his church, who is going to breathe hope and life into his church going through difficult times, who in the middle of a storm that's going around stands up and says, it's going to be okay. Not just it's going to be okay, he's actually going to, what we see is that Jesus stands and said, this is actually part of what we're doing. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, from the start we've been doing something, this is actually that. This, and it's going to instill, if you come looking for this, it is going to instill such a hope in you, such a sense of expectation that you will live differently. One of the foundational principles of leadership is that you always begin with the end in mind. A book, famous book called, Stephen, Steve, uh, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That if you've got clarity about how it ends, you will always live that way. That's why what's called eschatology is so important and that's why I, as your senior pastor, am deeply concerned that you have a clear eschatology of how it ends because if you live like the point of revelation is that it's all going to hell in a handbasket but I've got my get out of jail card you'll live that way and it's not a faithful representation of what Jesus is doing it's not a faithful representation of the church it's not the witness that the church needs to be in this time and this age so if we come ready to meet Jesus in scripture and we pay attention and we open that up you're going to Something wonderful is going to happen. Again, you're going to meet and see. I've given away the end of the book. Sorry. Sorry, Josh. I've done the big reveal right there, didn't I? I've just, we'll have to come up with another title because I've just done the big reveal. But you are going to see Jesus in the middle of the storm, the mother of all storms, standing up, saying to his disciples who are concerned, who are worried, who feel like it's all going to end, it's going to be okay. It's going to be better than okay. Trust me. And then demonstrating his authority over all things. Does that story remind you of anything? Jesus, in the middle of a storm, standing up so calm, saying to his disciples, it's going to be okay, and then demonstrating his authority. It's the same Jesus. Jesus, in this time, what is interesting 
and what he's doing. The, the power of this story, yet again, one of my other favourites, it's not that it happened, it's that it happens. The storm in you is far more powerful than the storm around you. Whatever storm, it may not be. It may not be COVID. It probably isn't. The big storm in my life is not COVID. Since four years ago when Christy passed away, COVID feels like a doddle. Now, we've, been, we've had a grace and we haven't, I haven't. There's other people who it, their storm is their storm. But what I'm saying, there's a very good chance the real storm for you is not COVID. It's a storm for our world and we've got something to do and be. But actually far more powerful will be the storm in you right now. And Jesus gets up and he addresses that storm first. He gets up asleep and he says, why were you worried? I'm with you. And then he goes and addresses this storm. But he's firstly concerned about reassuring you. And I feel that's there's an invitation. Come follow me. Come experience me as the one who is so... He, he, he not just wants to... He wasn't sort of showing off his divinity. He was inviting you into an experience of humanity that said you can be so convinced you can be so trusting in jesus it's like you can be asleep in a storm that's the invitation you can be so at peace that regardless he wasn't saying the storm wasn't real he's saying you can be in a position where you are so trusting of me that it feels like you could just fall off to sleep that is an invitation that's the invitation of revelation and it's so right now folks it's so right now you and I need to respond to that. We need to feel that because then he wants to address, and I'm convinced of this, he needs his church to be addressing the storm outside as well. He's going to do something foundational, but then he wants to do something transformative. Because it grieves me, if I'm honest, it grieves me that actually at a time when the church should be prophetically being something, we're not just participating in the storm, we're actually, it feels like we're ratcheting the jolly storm up. My goodness me, read the book for all it's worth. Have an encounter with God. We're going to do something as we finish now. We're going to practice a spiritual discipline that has become increasingly important to me. And I think it's really powerful when we do it together. Um, it's got a complicated name, you might not understand this, but I'll give it a try. It's called the spiritual discipline of shh. It's founded in Psalm 48. It says, be still and know that I am God. And I just feel like there's an invitation for us as we drag the, the through line of the Jesus that's revealed in the Gospels and we come and find him in Revelation. He's going to do something in us as we sit and can be so at peace and find moments to practice peace. Practice just reminding ourselves, hitting the reset button and then walking out into the storm of our world. But actually, we're now not subject to it. We're walking in a different spirit. I heard a song this week, we're going to play it. It's really very self-explanatory. It's really powerful. It speaks to this. We can just have a moment where we practice the spiritual discipline of shh. You can close your eyes or it'll be on the screen. But I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in us so that he can continue to do something through us. Thanks, guys.